May pray for us. Lord, we do come, Lord, by your grace. Lord, we ask that you would speak now to us. Feed us with the living bread. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the rich and famous, they dine with the rich and famous. And we should not be surprised. That's what makes the world go round. And the rich and the famous and the influential can do that. But what's amazing at the passage we're going to look at is the richest and the most famous and the most powerful and the most influential is Jesus. And he chooses to die with us. That is the good news. And so I want us to give attention to God's word. Luke 14, I want you to consider there's four banquets. And each, it's almost like concentric circles. And Jesus is ultimately, there's a lot of arrows that are pointing in different directions. And there's a lot of implications and applications to this passage. But it all kind of comes to crescendo with the last banquet. So let's follow these, these banquets. The first banquet is verses 1 to 6. Second banquet's going to be verses 7 to 11. Third banquet, verses 12 to 14. And then 15 to 24 is the last banquet. So let's follow each of these banquets. First banquet. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And every time that is used in the Gospels, actually anywhere in the, in the Bible, it's always bad. Okay, It means they're looking to trap him. They are very suspicious, so they've come to watch him carefully. This is not the kind of hospitality lunch you want to be at, okay? They're waiting for him to screw up. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And that's a big medical term for basically fluid retention, swelling. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then they took him and healed him, took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to him, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Second banquet. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Third banquet. He said also to the man who who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, this is the fourth banquet, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there's room. The master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So we're taught here a lot about banquets. What to do at a banquet. Where we're to sit. Who we should invite and why. So let's start with the what we're to do at a banquet. First of all, the first six verses. Jesus is now at his third dinner with the Pharisees. His first and last, that is. As I told you, Luke has a lot about food narratives. And so he's invited to a Pharisee's house in Luke 7. We looked at that already. That was Simon and the sinful woman. And Jesus clearly shows that he is prophet, priest, and king in that passage, that he knows what Simon's thinking. He's the real prophet. He's the priest who atones for sin, and he's the king that she's worshiping. And Simon doesn't get it. He's clueless. That's the first uh, banquet. And the second one's in Luke 11, where once again there's an entrapment kind of thing and trying to catch Jesus in a trap. None of these end well. And then you got Luke 14, and here they bring in a man as a plant. And they bring in this guy with dropsy, and they're, they're wanting to see, well, let's see what Jesus does and if he's a Sabbath breaker. And Jesus shows them that he's in accord with Deuteronomy, and they're not. So Jesus wants to establish, as you go through this, that all the Old Testament scriptures, he's embodying and he's living, and they're not, and they're really being hypocrites. Deuteronomy 22.4 said, You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help them to lift them up again. If that's how you should treat a donkey and an ox, how much more should you help someone in need? And so Jesus wants to show that he's the one that's in alignment with God's law and the Pharisees are not. Even, even worse, though, is this man with dropsy was only invited to the influential uh, cool people supper, and he's only invited because he's a plant. He's a form of entrap entrapment. It's kind of like when the police officers in the city, they used to try to catch people. They'd leave a car running and the windows down, and they would set up shop, you know, nearby, and they would just wait for the guy that, you know, couldn't, was desperate for transportation, and uh, gets in the car and steals it, and then they arrest him. And actually, they've shown on TV where they actually have the equipment on board on the, on the car that the car will just start to shut down and lose power. So they start driving off and the police are chasing and they just lose power and the, 
you know, it's all a, a way to get him. Well, this was the Pharisees' way to get Jesus, to trap him. And what they're showing is they really don't care at all about this man with dropsy. And Jesus shows them, this is who you should be inviting. This is who you should be loving. This is who should be invited to your banquets. And so Jesus realigns in, in these parables all about uh, banquets and hospitality. It's a realignment of priorities for us. There's so much about choices in this chapter. And you have to acknowledge that a lot of our choices that we make are arrogant choices. Now, I know that some of you are, are super busy and super strapped, and some of it is because you're not given the resources that you need at work, where your boss doesn't want to hire somebody else. They've let somebody go, and instead of having two people now in the office, well, they see you're a good worker, and so they just give you more responsibility. And now you're even more stressed. And that has ramifications for how you're going to come home and the stresses that you're going to bring. And we see that a lot. And it's be often financial reasons are determining that. And sometimes God's people are left doing two or three jobs, waiting for somebody to come and bring relief. But there are other times, though, where, where we make choices where we're so busy. And what you see here is the Pharisees are making choices. They're making choices of who they're going to invite to their banquet, to their, to their supper, to their supper club. And then what we're also seeing, though, is when we're going to get to these, Jesus is having a banquet. And it's going on right now. It's the foretaste. And then for eternity, there's this big banquet. And he's saying that you guys clamor and you can't wait to get the best seats in the house when you have your supper clubs for all the rich and famous, and yet I'm the king of the universe, and I'm giving my banquet, and you're not coming because you're making arrogant choices that you think are more important. And we often make some bad choices about where we choose to spend our time. And Jesus has a lot here to say about how we should be thinking. It's kind of like, if you remember in Charlotte's Web, Templeton the rat, he always wanted to know what's in it for me. And so whether he was going to do anything, he wanted to know what was in it for me. Well, Jesus' concern here on the Sabbath was that the Pharisees were selfishly motivated. When somebody was truly in need, they used the law to give an excuse to ignore the problem rather than helping and healing. And so Jesus shows us that we are of far more value than an ox in the ditch. And Jesus demonstrated this healing to show mercy on the, that mercy on the Sabbath is a good thing, not a bad thing. Banquet number two. Where do we sit at a banquet? Once again, Jesus gives instructions about where to go when invited to a wedding feast. And Jesus refers back to Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7, to once again show that he's the one that's in alignment with God's law, not the Pharisees. So Proverbs 25, 6, and 7 says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. And so Jesus is noticing something is wrong. Something is askew in this story. He's been invited to this Pharisee's house, and they're all clamoring to get the best seats at the table. 
And he's saying it's better to be humble than to be humiliated. Take the low seat, and perhaps the, the host will move you up. But don't suppose to take the best seat and then be humble when you have to be moved back. Now, the way that worked in Jesus' day is that they would set up these couches, and typically the couches were three-seaters. And there was kind of a middle couch, and then there were couches that were, you know, on the left and on the right. And they all had, an, had, an, had a priority ranking. And the key was to be at the center. If you could get to the center couch, well, then you were really special. And if not, then you needed to be in the seat of honor. And, and you know, that was on one side, and the other side was eh, not quite as important. And so if you could get these people to talk to you, you could kind of move up the ladder. And it was all of this social networking that's going on. And this guy with, with and they would have these, these would be open meals. And so the riffraff, they would be kind of outside in the peripheral, not seated and kind of standing around. And, and you know, this opening call to worship was this woman comes and wrecks the party where she's this sinful woman from the city, and she just comes and wrecks this social uh, decorum, and she just hurls decorum to the wind, lets her hair down, she's wiping her feet with her tears, and she's showing love the only way that she knows how, and that's how she's been doing it for a long time on the street, and they're just aghast that Jesus is identifying with this woman. Well, here, Jesus is saying, you brought in this guy with dropsy, but you really have nothing to do with him. You don't care at all about him. And all you're trying to do is clamor to get the best seats in the house. And I'll tell you, we do this a lot in, in our world. I was just reading, came across this years ago when, when uh, Obama was president. And Trump is no, no different. I mean... This is what, they can do this. They're the influential. But when, Trump, when Obama was president, they released a list of people that he had invited to the White House. And it was the former AIG chairman, the CEO of ExxonMobil, the CEO of Chevron, the CEO of Bank of America, CEO of Goldman Sachs, CEO of American Bankers Association, CEO of Microsoft, CEO of General Electric, super high ups from Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, State Street Bank, the National Organization for Women's President, Al Gore, Howard Dean, the mayor of Chicago, Al Franken, the late Ted Kennedy, Alan Greenspan, Newt Gingrich, Gary Bauer, go figure how he got in there, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Tom Daschle, Bill Gates, George Soros, Oprah Winfrey, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Denzel Washington, Serena Williams. They invite the influential. You know, when Trump plays golf, I mean, he, he played golf with Kirk Cousins, you know, a few months back, and, and they do that. But, and that's kind of the way the world operates. I feel bad, though, when the church operates like this, is that when the church starts to only hang out with the influential. And when we look at a church, do we say, man, I want to go to the church that's ministering to the people with dropsy. I want to go to the church that's ministering to the weak and the marginal and the disenfranchised. I want to go to those people. Let me serve in this way. Let me humble myself. Take the low seat. When Jesus is saying take the low seat, he's talking about take the low seat in church now. This is how you should serve. We have people that don't want to serve on the nursery, I think, sometimes, because they don't want to take the low seat. Take the low seat and serve and minister to the needy. We look at the church, and we want to know if it is slick, if it's packaged, if it is cool, if it is hip, and there is lots of young people and lots of vibrant, powerful programs going on, and it is just... It is numbers, nickels, and noise, and it is flash, and, and man, you're like, man, that, they've got it going on. I wonder what Jesus would say. 
Because it's very interesting when you compare the church with America, and then you go like down to Honduras, or you go somewhere overseas, and you see how much slower the church is. Because their priorities are not arrogant. Their priorities aren't arrogant. They're not busy. They're not busy for a reason. They care about people. They break bread together all the time. That's what they do. We as Americans, I mean, we just, we eat on the run. We run on the run. There are idols that have to come crashing down. There are high places that we need to take an ax to and chop down because we're just too busy. Now, some of that, I'm telling you, I realize there's nothing you can do right now. You're stuck. But some of us can. And as we can make changes, Jesus is saying we've got to realign our whole lives. The king of the universe has invited us to his supper. And he's saying, invite the people that you can't, that can never repay you. And he's saying, he invited you because you could never repay him. You are the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the naked. And you say, oh no, you can't use that spiritual language on me. What did Jesus say to the church at Laodicea? The people that were powerful and influential and they, could, they had this great dye for their eyeballs and they, they were making lots of money and they were able to, to use this sheep clothing and they had this powerful uh, industry where they were clothing people. And Jesus says, you don't even know that you're poor, blind, miserable, and naked. And they had just prided themselves on their eyes and on, on being able to provide clothing. And he says, you are lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of your mouth because you don't see your need for me. Jesus is, is saying that we are the people that have been served by him. So when he's saying have a feast and show hospitality and go and serve these people that have great needs, he's saying you have to look in the mirror. You've got to see that Who's been invited to the supper? Because what Jesus is showing is ultimately in Jesus' day with these parables, Jesus is giving the banquet. He's come as the host. He's the bridegroom who's shown. He's saying the kingdom has come and he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 25 and 55. And he's the, he is the Messiah bringing the banquet and the Jews have rejected him. And so when the Jews rejected him, he goes to the Gentiles and he says, the kingdom of God is being taken away from you and given to others who will bear the fruits of it. And so the poor, blind, and the miserable, and the naked is often a reference to the Gentiles that are being brought in. And the Jews are very mad at Jesus when he says these things because they perceive that he was talking about them. But if you start looking at some of these stories, even the story that, and Ben's going to preach this a couple weeks from now, on the prodigal son and the elder brother, the elder brother is meant to be a picture of the Jews. They are angry that these prodigals are being brought in. These Gentiles who've no, who know nothing about the law and knew nothing about, about the, the, the proper way to live, and, and they hear music and dancing and a feast with them, and they're upset. And how quickly prodigals become elder brothers. And how quickly we in the church can begin to look down on other people that we don't think we should be breaking bread with. 
And so Jesus is giving us some things here to think about. He says that with this banquet, he's showing us how to give a banquet. Who who should we be inviting? And I would say to us that it's not only how to give a banquet, that those are kind of a, a metaphor for certainly we should be showing hospitality, but it's meant to be like a lifestyle. Like this is who we're to love. Who are we to love? Who are we to care for? And he's saying invite those who can't repay you. And there's this part of us that's the flesh, particularly Americans, we naturally live for the payoff, the law of being repaid. I'll scratch your back and you'll scratch my back. And Jesus is saying that true ministers are to love those who can't scratch your back in return. Are there things that you're purposely doing in your life as a disciple and follower of Jesus, knowing that you could never repay him, that as, a, as now living as recipients in the kingdom, who are we going to love that can never repay us? And some of you are doing this wonderfully. And we need to come alongside and help people that are doing that, that have taken in a child that has special needs, and they need help. You see, John Piper says, the most sanctified people among us must do battle every day so as to not be enslaved by the universal tendency to always act for the greatest earthly payoff. I tell you, I feel it. I mean, even as a pastor, I get this bad feeling whenever I go to Presbytery or General Assembly. This is just part of it's my own flesh because I was once at a big church and I was the young, hip, cool guy that people wanted to spend time with and and we had this big church of a thousand people and we were the mover and shaker in a presbytery. We were the powerful, we were the influential church and man, I mean, there there was a certain pride that came with that and now I'm on the other side where I'm not the big church, I'm not the big kahuna and there's these little inner circles and a lot of times I'm not invited. I'm not included. I'm not invited to their little inner circle because I'm not so special. I'm a little older now and my church isn't so big and we're not as, you know, making all the noise as some of the hip cool churches. And then you go to General Assembly and it even feels worse. I just, this my, some of it's my own flesh, okay? Because I want to be with those people, you know? And I want to exclude them. And then I start saying to myself, well, do I go to the people that I have a hard time understanding? Like, we have a lot of Asians that sometimes their accent is so hard to understand that sometimes I don't want to sit with them because I have a hard time understanding them. Shame on me. Shame. Those are the people that I should be running to sit with. But I want to sit with the cool people and find out some new tricks about what's happening in their churches. What about us? What about you? Who do you want to hang out with your house and invite over and spend time with? It's funny, I was reading about a pastor that preached this passage, and he said he got three invitations to come to his house a few weeks after that, and he was trying to figure out where he fit in the parable, you know? Am I the poor to cripple the blind of the lame? (laughs) John Frame said this in the Doctrine of of the Christian Life. He says, the world's neglect of the disabled comes from its desire to appear strong with uncomfortable reminders of its need. 
But those who come to Christ find in the disabled a picture of their own weakness. You see, Jesus is realigning our priorities, isn't he? He's realigning where we fit in the kingdom and how we should treat others in the kingdom. And so this last banquet, I mean, he goes deep. You see, Jesus, I mean, notice the pronoun of verse 24. Just notice the last pronoun. That should tell you, speak volumes to you. I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So we realize that all these other stories are leading up for the shocker that Jesus is saying, it's my banquet. As the king of the universe, he's the one giving a banquet. And he's saying, these other banquets, people are just clamoring for the best seats. But now I'm inviting you to the real banquet, and people are making pathetic, lame excuses of why they can't come. Well, I can't come to church. No, no, my, my, my children are really involved heavily in sports. That's a tough one. Can't come. I'm too tired. Work so hard. Get home late. And Jesus, he's saying, here's the real banquet. And so because these people aren't coming, verse 21, he says, go and invite the urban poor. You see how he makes a distinction here in verse 21? He says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. That's the urban poor. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And then those are brought in. There's still room. And then he says, okay, go to the rural poor. Go out to the highways and the hedges. Go out that my house may be filled. Bring them in. And you see, what Jesus is showing us is the host will be downright insulted in Jesus' day. You see, he's saying, you guys have these best seats for your banquets and hustle and bustle and position yourselves to get as close as possible for the best seats, and then you're not even coming to the real banquet. But even worse with these invitations is the way that they worked was was if you gave a banquet, you would kind of issue it like two days in advance, a couple days ahead of time. And you'd say, okay, I'm having this, this big feast in two days. And if they said they were coming... Then, it, then the second invitation would be a couple days later, and now it was actually time. We've killed the animals, we've cooked the meat, and now you go and say, everything's ready, come. And then these people are making the lamest of excuses. That, well, I bought five oxen, I need to go and test them out. I bought a piece of property, I need to go and look at it. I just got married. And what Jesus is saying is these are pathetic excuses because nobody buys any animals that they haven't first tested out. Nobody buys a piece of property that they haven't already thoroughly looked at. And if somebody was married, he would bring his spouse with them so that they could dance and party and enjoy the evening together. So these are just pathetic excuses. Matter of fact, Leon Morris calls this the parable of excuses. And so we have to think to ourselves, what is Jesus saying to us? Are we making pathetic excuses about why we're not in fellowship with God's people? You know, when you think about the church, you think about what's above water and what's below water as an illustration. Above water in the church is what you see today. This is the above water church. Okay, we come as God's people. We come and worship. We hear God's word. We fellowship together here. That's the church above water. And that's important. 
But the real health of the church is the church below water. And that's everything that's done after the service through the rest of the week as the body of Christ. How we love one another. Do we break bread together? Do we get involved in small groups? Do we help one another? Do we minister to each other's needs? That's the church below water. And the health of the church is always what's beneath the water, not what's above the water. I mean, above the water is important. I don't want to minimize that because that's important that we're here. But that's not, that's not it. And I think there's a tendency to think, well, if I come to church, that's it. And so much more of hospitality, and it isn't interesting the word hospital, hospitality, hostile, they all come from the same root word. And the root word is, is stranger and guest. And it's being a lover of strangers, a lover of guests. And, and you show hospitality. And I think part of the problem is, is we, as I talked a little bit last week, we go to the wrong hospital. And the wrong hospital is the devil's hospital. Whereas we begin to think we're the victim. And as soon as we have the victim mentality, Satan has a hospital for you. Come. He bids. He will nurse your wounds. He will feed that bitterness. And he will, he will do anything he can. I mean, Satan just works overtime for victims. Boy, does he love to nurse the wounded. Come to his hospital. And we as God's people have to humble ourselves to say, wait a minute, I'm not a victim. I have been invited by the king of the universe to his table. And now we're seated at this table together and I can never repay him. Unbelievable grace. What we see from this parable is God is gracious, generous, benevolent, big-hearted, compassionate, tender, loving, merciful to those who, can, who could never repay him. We are so far much worse than the crippled Mephibosheth eating at David's table because of the merits of Jonathan. We have something so much better. And so we come to his table. But then as we come to his table and we realize, wow, every Sunday is a feast, then we're to extend the feast and the grace to one another. Let me end by saying this. We are more loved than Rachel ever loved, than Jacob ever loved Rachel. You think about all these great stories of the Bible, and Jesus' love for us is so much greater. Are we not loved more than Jacob loved Rachel? Are we not more forgiven than Joseph's brothers, the way that Joseph forgave his brothers? Are we not more redeemed than Ruth, than she was redeemed by Boaz? Are we not more delivered from the bondage of Egypt of their sins by the true and better Moses? Are we not more secure of the promised land than Joshua had ever given? Are we not better treated than Mephibosheth, who ate at David's table all his life, though he was lame in both his feet? Are, are we not saved by a greater intervention than Esther, who risked her life and said, if I perish, I perish? Jesus did perish. Are we not more loved than Gomer in her spiritual adultery and idolatry by Jesus as the better husband and bridegroom? You see, all those stories of the Old Testament talk about heroes and heroines, and, and Jesus is greater than all of them. And he has shown this kindness and love to us and brought us to the table. And he's telling us, take the low seat. Take the low seat. 
go and serve those who can't repay you. And I'll repay you at the resurrection of the just. And the Pharisees loved, they loved talking about the resurrection because remember the Sadducees didn't like the resurrection. So somebody just raises, the, oh, blessed are those who are going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know, Baraka, you know, isn't it great when everything's going to be fixed? And Jesus is saying, well, actually, it's now. The kingdom is going forward now, and I'm inviting you now. And he's saying, you guys aren't even coming to the banquet. And so this is a realignment of our priorities. My favorite hymn, one of my favorite hymns goes like this. How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors. While everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room, while thousands made a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Twas the same love that spread the feast that sweetly forced us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Pity the nations, O our God, constrain the earth to come. Send thy victorious word abroad and bring lost sinners home. We long to see your churches full, that all your chosen race may with one voice and heart and song sing thy redeeming grace. And that be our prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we're amazed by your love and your pity that would include us at the table. And we cry out, why was I a guest? Thank you for humbling us and showing us what we did not deserve and yet was freely bestowed and given to us. And so, Lord, help us to see the world differently, the church differently, the body of Christ differently, that we would move toward need, rather than away from it. Forgive us for our selfish tendencies. Help us to be like Christ and to follow him. For we ask in your name. Amen.